0: I've love, love being in Second Peter. And last week we established that this letter at the end of Peter's life, he knows he's about to die. He knows this is kind of his last will and testament for the early church. He's got to refute two lies that are pervading the church 2,000 years ago and still exist somewhat to this day. One of those lies is the teaching that we are no longer saved under the law, but we are now under grace has led to this libertine theology where people are taking Paul's message from Romans and going, hey, God saved us by the blood of Jesus. The grace, has, the grace of God has covered all of our wrongdoing. We don't have to offer any more sacrifices. His sacrifice was once for all. And because of that, we get to do whatever we want. And when we do things that disobey God, all it does is add to his grace. And Paul refutes that saying, no, 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 no. We don't sin so that grace may abound. But because of grace, We become slaves to a brand new nature, putting off our old self and living in the newness of life that was bought for us. Much of the teaching of the New Testament is about refuting lies. You wanna know why? The battle that we live in is a battle between truth and lies. It has been that way since the book of Genesis. It is still that way today. We are not just in a battle between good behavior and bad behavior. We're not just in a battle between good and evil. We're in a battle between what's reality and what's unreality. And what the enemy loves to do is to lie to people who by their flesh are bent in a distorted way to believe lies about God and to satisfy the desires of their sinful flesh in ways that will ultimately lead to more slavery. But last week, I I will never forget last week. Last week was so special seeing some of you come to understand that the slavery and bondage that you experience in your life spiritually is not rooted in the bad things that you do, but actually rooted in the lies that you're tempted to believe. And it's not just about replacing a lie with the truth. It's about looking at why do I want to believe that lie? And what promise of freedom is that lie telling me that ultimately leads to more bondage? And we ended last week with grace plus community equals freedom. And it's going to go hand in hand with the second lie we're going to address today. That was the first lie that Peter had to refute. And he does a really good job in chapter 2. But now we're in chapter 3, which is the last chapter. And he's going to refute the second lie, which is this. Jesus is not actually coming back. Now, that lie was a spinoff of the first lie because people who would argue with the false teachers would say, hold on, we can't do whatever we want. We can't just sleep with whoever we want, drink whatever we want, do whatever we want all the time. Because what if Jesus comes back while I'm indulging in that behavior? And so their response to that was, well, he's actually not coming back. That's just kind of a mythological thing that the apostles made up. There is no return of Christ. And they had all kind of arguments for why this was that we're going to look at when we get to chapter 3 today. But before we get there, I want to tell you the title of this sermon to get your mind thinking in a direction that Peter will ultimately take us. The title of this sermon is called Out of Hiding. Out of Hiding. So watch this. Peter is going to drop this installment of truth on what it means for Jesus to come back and add on to everything that you read about in the rest of the scriptures. He's going to talk about the day of the Lord, which was prophesied in the Old Testament, addressed many times in the New Testament, the return of Jesus, where Jesus comes back for his bride, initiates a new heaven and a new earth, where the kingdom of God reigns physically forever and ever. This is what we call heaven. But please note, heaven is not about us escaping from earth and going somewhere in the sky. Ultimately, Heaven is about invading and transforming the earth. And so what Peter's going to tell us is that when Jesus comes back, there's a part of his coming back that will disclose everything that's ever been hidden or left in the dark. That he's going to unearth every secret that's been buried. Now, I don't know about you, that part of Jesus coming back does not get me excited at all. The other stuff does. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Yes, please. He, he's gonna make every wrong right. He's gonna hold those accountable who have done unrighteousness in the world, who are not saved by the blood of Jesus. And he's, he's gonna start a new government that exists forever and ever. No more pain, no more cancer, no more divorce, no more war, no more political tension, no more racism, no more hate, no more COVID, no more death. All of those were like, come, Lord Jesus. And then Peter goes, and he's going to reveal all the secrets of the human heart, and he's going to lay everything bare. Isaiah says he's going to roll back the skies like a scroll. It's going to be like, I was watching this whole time. And if you hear that, even as a believer today, every person who's honest with themselves about their sin is going, oh, yeah, I love all the other stuff. That one, mm, uh, I just... Hold on, let me figure some stuff out before Jesus comes back so that in that moment, I'm not not as nervous because we all have something to hide. In fact, this is the only thing, you can look it up in a study, this is the only thing that across the board, Democrats and Republicans agree on. The only thing is the right to privacy. I'm, I'm dead serious. If you look it up across the board, you can be far left, you can be far right, wherever you are on that spectrum. If you talk to Democrats and Republicans, they will say across the board, Yes, we are passionate about the, the rights we have to privacy. With everything that happens online and everything that's happening in the cyberspace, you get anybody in the political spectrum that's going, we should have a right to our privacy. Why do we agree on that across the board? Because we got a lot to hide. we got a lot that we feel safer about if it stays hidden and over here in the corner. And the fear of getting exposed, this is not a new fear. This is the, the immediate result of believing a lie, engaging in sin, and then encountering God. In your sins, that's what Adam and Eve do. What do they do? They start covering themselves. Nobody had even told them that they were naked. They're unaware of the fact that they should be ashamed. And now the awareness of shame causes a need to hide. But the good news today, and the good news from Genesis 3, when God does show up and speak about a future where the serpent's head will be crushed by the heel of the man. And the good news about Jesus coming back is this. And, oh, man, if God has ever shown me something clear this week when he showed me this, I was like, whoa. Here's what 2 Peter 3 teaches us Jesus' return is not about exposing all of your secret shame. Jesus' return is about removing every lie that made you believe you had to hide in the first place. Jesus' return is not about exposing everything about you that you would rather keep hidden. His return is about removing and demolishing the lies that their main power over you is the belief and the agreement that I'm so bad, I'm so dirty, I'm so missing it that I have to conceal and conserve something away from everybody else that honestly keeps me from being loved and keeps me from stepping into the reason why I exist in the first place. So here's the vision at ACC today. Some of us are gonna come out of hiding. I would love it if everybody came out of hiding because you don't ever find comfort in keeping a part of you over to the side, a secret, believing the lie the whole time that I have to do this to truly be loved. And if they knew, they would freak out. And if I brought this up and if I actually addressed this, no, the church of Jesus Christ has has to be the safest place in the world for broken people to come out about their brokenness. You know, this is me. I'm coming out of hiding. And the good news in 2 Peter 3 and why Peter motivates us to this, he goes, it's all going to be laid bare anyway. And he already knows it. But there's something about his character in this passage that I think will free you instead of make you want to run and hide and hope he doesn't come back today. Do you want to read about it in the scriptures today? Did you bring your Bible? Come on, 845. Did you bring your Bible? If you have your Bible, hold it up. All of our locations, hold it up. Hold it up high. Everybody, we're doing it again, everybody go, 2 Peter 3, except those who are single, keep them in the air, keep them in the air. I've heard about uh, some, some, even some things blossoming this past week, got a whole, hey, bro, they're right behind you, like right back there, right to your right, there you go. Yeah, there's only one of him and two of y'all, so y'all work that out amongst yourselves. All right, right, Second Peter 3, everybody, Second Peter chapter 3. This is it, y'all. It feels like we just started 2 Peter, but we're going all the way to the end. We're going to read a full chapter of Scripture, and we're going to study it as we go. 2 Peter is close to the end of your Bible, and these are the final words that we know of of Peter before he is to be crucified upside down under the oppression of Emperor Nero in Rome. 2 Peter 3, verse 1. If you're there, say I'm there. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. Y'all, it's going to blow your mind. That's why it's called 2 Peter. Amazing. This is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. But Peter's going, I wrote these letters. I took the time to make sure this goes out there to the church because I want you to think right. I want you to be able to see the world as God created it. And I want you to be able to operate under the truth of how you should think with a renewed mind. Verse two, I want you to recall the word spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being, and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. Peter says, you need to know this. There, there will be teachers who say, where is this coming of the Lord? This is not even one generation removed from Jesus being on earth, by the way, and they're already talking like this. Everything from the beginning just keeps happening the way it has always happened. Days, nights, weeks, months, years, the world keeps moving. No matter how many threats there are of Armageddon and the end of the world, everything just keeps going. And Peter goes, Yeah, yeah, yeah. They make that argument, but they deliberately forget. Anyone who is under the noose of a lie has a tendency to deliberately keep from their mind what could bring them into a knowledge of the truth. He goes, They deliberately forget that before all of this even existed, the Spirit was hovering over the waters and God called out of water all that came to being. So when you're tempted to believe, is the, is the second coming of Jesus actually a thing? Wouldn't it have happened by now? Okay, think about the planet you live on. Let's rewind the clock all the way back. How in the world did this happen? This happened because in a split second, the word of his power set things into motion. And he didn't just set them into motion. He destroyed it all again with a flood. And then the same way he destroyed it all, it's going to be a similar destruction that happens when the day of the Lord comes to judge the ungodly, which he'll describe more in just one second. But then he says this, do not forget a thousand years is like a day to the Lord. Now, that's not direct math. Like I've heard people argue a thousand years is exactly one day to God. No, it just means God's concept of time very different than ours. He does not experience delay and time the way we experience it. For him, it's been a couple days since Jesus rose from the dead. He's different. By the way, that's how we will experience eternity with no time. Don't let your mind go there for too long. You'll be freaked out, but it's forever. Peter's going, It. calm down. You haven't seen any visible evidence yet. Trust me, it's coming. Look at verse nine. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bear. There's our bad news, good news for the day. Day of the Lord coming like a thief. Jesus himself made that argument. It's going to happen when a lot of people are not expecting it. What happens? Three things. The heavens will disappear with a roar. Wait a second. What? The heavens are going to disappear? The heaven that exists now where the spirits of those who have passed before us who knew Jesus are awaiting the day Jesus returns will no longer exist. Heaven will come to reign on earth but not the form of earth that we live in now. One one that will not be demolished, but purged and transformed. You'll see that in just one second. Since everything, verse 11, will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all of his letters. Look at that, Peter hating on Paul. He writes the same stuff. I mix it up a little bit. Speaking into them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort, as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. Therefore, dear friends, since you've been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forevermore. Amen. Day of the Lord coming like a thief. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. And Peter finishes reaching back for Paul because the two lies that are being told in the church are primarily responses to Paul's teaching. And he goes, hey, Paul brings it same way every time. But people who are less mature, people who are unstable distort what he says as a license to do whatever they want, and a reason to believe that this day of the Lord is not actually coming. So this is a massive correction, and I would say the entirety of Second Peter is a massive correction aimed at telling Christians a godly life is not optional in the kingdom of God. The last week we had a, a, a semi-amber alert happen mid-church, and it was like five phones went off at the same time, and I was like, it's one of my worst fears, an amber alert happening. That's, that's, that's number two. Number one is I get the hiccups on stage, and it still never happened. Please, God, not today. Um, but we'll put this on the screen. We can just read this point. I love getting thrown off. Lord, keep me focused. The reality of Jesus coming back motivates godly living. This is what 2 Peter 3 is about. The reality of Jesus coming back motivates godly living. And this godly living is not for the special Christians who actually get serious about their faith and apply the Bible to their lives. It's a life that's available for all of those who truly have the Holy Spirit. But what motivates this godliness is the reality that Jesus is coming back, but not the way that you think. If you grew up in a legalistic home... Maybe a home where fear was intended to motivate you toward obeying God. You could have heard this threat growing up. I'm not going to say whether or not it happened from my mother, whose first name is Dorcas, named after uh, the woman in the book of Acts, Tabitha. Remember her? There was this threat that could go out of Jesus is coming back. Do you want to be found doing that when he returns? I mean, that's like ultimate fear. I'm really scared to see when Jesus comes back. And it's a way of motivating someone to actually live the way they're supposed to live. It's not the way that you think it is. It's not intended to scare you out of hiding and doing things that you're not supposed to do because, hey, he's coming back and he's going to hold you accountable. So you better be ready. That's what it looks like on the surface. But when you dig into 2 Peter 3, 2 Peter 3 is way more about the patience of God than it is about the judgment of God. Oh, his judgment is real. But did you catch Peter's argument for why Jesus hasn't come back yet? He literally tells them the only reason why Jesus hasn't come back yet is to give you more time to repent. So he's pointing out the false teachers are using Jesus' delay as a weapon to prove that it's not real, when in reality, Jesus' delay was a gift to them to actually figure it out and come to repentance and salvation. Here's the verse, 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to Repentance. The only reason why Jesus has not come back, and it's 2022, is because God is a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness. Our God has allowed more time for more to turn from their sin and be saved forever from the judgment of hell and brought into the kingdom of God. And it's, it's, it's one thing to preach that, and it's one thing to read this verse and go, Man, God is so gracious. He's so patient. No, no, no. It's actually not as great as you think it is. He's like so gracious and so patient that sometimes things are awful and stay awful because he's that gracious and that patient. If we're going to put this verse up on the screen and preach about the patience of God, you and I start thinking about our sin. And we're like, thank you, Lord. Wow. Thank you for the fact that your patience means salvation. That's so great. But it makes you uncomfortable when you look at the events of the world and you go, how in the world have you not come back yet? There have been about five things in the last couple of years where I've had that moment privately with God, where I'm going, I don't, I don't know how you have access to all that is happening on this planet I see through a window of my phone the evil and brokenness, and I am, with as much grace and compassion as God has put in my heart, I'm ready to see him lower the boom in a hurry. And yet, you see it all. You know it all. and still you, tarry, Still, you haven't come back. One of those was a couple weeks ago. We had a mom from the Ukraine on the front row. Her name's Katya, and she has shared with Cheryl on our team real stories that are happening on the ground in the Ukraine. By the way, the news does not tell the full story all the time. I don't know. I don't got to convince this crowd that. But some of y'all might need to know that Um, she goes. She says what's really happening is Russians are, are blowing through towns in the Ukraine. But to make it seem like it's not them causing a lot of the destruction, they're leaving these mines in houses where families return to their houses after being away. And she knew of a story of a kid who picked up a soccer ball blew up in his hands. And that this is, this is not happening in isolation, like a story here that is a massive scale. And I've got kids who are five and three and a couple months old, and I'm thinking about how often they play with their toys, and I'm like, God, what are you doing? Take them out. Don't care whether or not they make it. Take them out now. That's just what's happening in my heart. And then I come back to 2 Peter 3 9, and I go, Well, well hold on. Now, your, your patience, not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance, is starting to bother me. It bothered me a couple of years ago when I looked at a video, and I, I really wanted to become educated about what I believed about abortion. Because I knew it was such a hot topic and an issue of divisiveness. This was years ago, and I just I really wanted to feel firmly about that going into the future of ministry. And once again, the news likes to tell you a story of these situations that happen like 0.1, 0.2% of the time. The vast majority of abortions in our country and in the world happen on the basis of convenience and at a time where a baby has a stable heartbeat and a growing body. And so I watched a video of how an abortion happens at the average, the mean age of a baby, not like late term, which would freak you out to even, you can't even stomach it, but like the average age, what it looks like for that needle and that equipment to go in and grab those limbs. And I was like, every day, years, millions of times. And it's been legal in our country and I'm going, Lord, come, and he goes, I'm patient, I'm gracious, I allow for more time, and I don't, I don't say that to bother you or emotionally manipulate you to feel a way about an issue. I'm, tell, I'm taking you into my story of what I've thought about. I watched a silent video of the shooter going into the school in Uvalde. I don't know if y'all have seen this, when he enters in and goes into a room, they they shut down the audio and it says in the upper corner of the I don't want to watch these videos because I want to. I do it because I want to have a view of reality. It says in the upper corner, children screaming. And I'm like, Are you are you serious? This is the world that we're living in. And God, how? And these are just a few. God's looking at this on a grand scale. All the time. I've watched videos of of martyrs who've been taken from us by ISIS, still proclaiming their faith as they're executed. Like, this is the level of evil that God sees in the world. And that doesn't even scratch the surface of the sex trade or rape or murders or drug use or even things in our own homes every day, like divorce and anger and addiction and all of these things that we would like to see done away with. And I go, Jesus, how? Are you still waiting? And you know what moment we're having when we feel that in our stomachs? We're having Jonah's moment. You know, Jonah got delivered by God when he was drowning in a sea. He had run in the opposite direction of the call of God, get swallowed up at the bottom of the sea. One of my favorite things about the story of Jonah is that Jonah's song of deliverance came in the fish, not after he got spit out. He was like, I can't even die when I'm drowning. You're that gracious. You're that merciful. But you know what? Jonah goes to Nineveh, and you know what he preaches? The worst sermon ever. 40 days and this whole city will be overturned. I'll see you guys later. That's it. That's the whole sermon. Because Jonah hated the Ninevites. It's possible that the Ninevites murdered Jonah's family. Jonah has seen what they did. And he's like, uh-uh, They're, you guys are gone. And what, what do they do in Nineveh? They repent. And God relents and goes, okay, I'm not going to destroy it. And Jonah in Jonah 4 says, that's why I didn't want to go. I knew you were going to do this. I knew you were gonna forgive him. I knew you were gonna give him another chance and they don't deserve it. And what did God say? Jonah, do you do well to be angry? You've watched me deliver you. You've watched me grow a plant. That's a funny story in Jonah 4 to give you shade. But yet I can't save this city with thousands and thousands of people. Here's what I want you to see from, from some of those really hard to stomach examples. God's mercy and compassion toward you is so much bigger than you've given him credit for. You, you think it's hard for him to forgive you for your lust, for your substance abuse, for your anxiety that has turned into a level of worry that has disabled your ability to participate in friendships? You think it's hard for him to look at you and offer graciousness? No, 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 y'all understand this. This is who he is. He loves being slow to execute judgment. He loves offering grace and mercy. And he loves that through the cross, the joy of Jesus, the joy that was set before him was you being reunited to your father. So the reason why you can look to the coming of Christ with joy and not be afraid of your secrets being revealed and not be afraid of all the darkness in you being exposed is because it already has been exposed before God and he loves you infinitely anyway. You could not be more accepted and approved in the sight of a holy God if you're in Christ Jesus. And if you're not, you're going to get the opportunity today. That's who he is. And that's how Peter frames this. He goes, the Lord's not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. No, no, no. He's patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. Now read the next verse. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. Remember, same God of verse 9 is the God of verses 10 and 11. The one who's ridiculously patient with sin. The one who can bear the sins of rebellious people in a way that no other God can. That's the God who's coming to judge the world in the twinkling of an eye. And that's the God who you're hearing about today with the opportunity to turn from what you're hiding and walk in the light. What's the invitation? A holy and godly life. You ought to live a holy and godly life as you look forward to the day of God and speed, it's coming. Why, why, why? Everybody look up here. Because a godly life. A blameless life is a life that no longer feels the need to live under the prison of acting and performing. A godly life is a life that is I'm me, flaws and all, but nothing here is hidden. I'm out of hiding. Why does God want that for you? Does he want that for you so that when he shows up, he's like, okay, you're doing good. You're actually participating in this thing, and you've got good enough behavior to get in. No, that's not what it is. He wants this for you because this is the only way to experience real love and intimacy from him and from other people you know you're only as alive as you are loved and you can only be loved to the level with which you are transparent. So some of you who your whole marriage has been an act for the person you sleep next to, you're not free because you've kept things secret and haven't hurt the other person. You're in bondage, you're enslaved because you haven't really been loved. You haven't really allowed anyone to see what's really there. And if you knew what it was like, to be fully seen in your shame and still fully loved, when you find that out, it will change you forever. And that's the lie the enemy wants to keep you from hearing. That if you all oh, if you come out of hiding, everyone would freak out. Everyone would lose their mind at what you're bringing into the light. You wouldn't really be loved. They would see you different. And what is he doing with those lies? He's keeping you in the prison of your own chains. But Jesus says, I'm, I'm coming back. Everything's going to be laid bare anyway. But what if What if you came out of hiding now and discovered that you are loved by a God who's patient with you and there's a community of believers around you to represent him who sees you the way that you are and loves you in who you are becoming? That's what it means to be the church and that's the opportunity we have today. And I'm saying, I've tasted a little bit of this. Part of my biggest lie of the last eight years has had to do with acting and deceit. Because like it's, it's one thing to be preaching at a Lutheran church for 49 people on a Sunday night and giving it your all and then going home. And that's what I did for a little while at this church. But as ACC has grown, there's this lie that sort of sinks in of, oh, wow, if they all knew who you are behind all the charisma and the knowledge that God's given you through his word, man, they'll figure out real fast, you don't belong up there. And and that lie can get louder and louder the more a ministry grows, and then it can become violence to your soul when you participate in the lie by performing so that the effects of the spiritual gifts produce the results, but the deep inner life and connection to God gets compromised by lies. And so what I've started to do is go, okay, I believe a lie that if I was fully known, I wouldn't actually be able to lead at this capacity but let's look at my life. Is there anything about my life that I feel like has to stay hidden? And I've gone to the drawing board and gone, well, there's a lot of problems, and there's a lot of things I do wrong, and there's a lot of moments I'm not proud of, and there's a lot of tendencies that need to shift and change, some of them faster than others. But I thought about it, and I was like, not really. Like I'm... And if there is, make changes, repent, confess, and then live in the light. And When you live in the light and go, okay, everything about my life is known, and I'm going to live that way when no one else is around, then when everyone else is around, you stop feeling like an actor and a performer and start feeling like you are the real deal, walking, talking power of the Holy Spirit, and the enemy has no lie that can stop you from stepping into what God has for you. That's what a holy life could get you. It's not about doing the right thing that you don't really want to do. Stop seeing it that way. It's about being a person who, in whose spirit is no deceit. And so you start participating in friendships and relationships, and it's the real you at the table. It's the real you answering the door. It's the real you on the text messages, and you're going, it's broken. It's not perfect, but it's real. And that is available for you, but it's not available in the dark. It's not, I almost fell. It's not available if you keep hiding. (laughs) See, and then when you get your feet stable, be careful that you don't fall. That's what Paul says. Okay, I wanna show y'all something. This is gold. David. King David had some secrets, okay? And he came out. He had to come out of hiding several times in life, and through his confession saw God heal and do things in him that were so significant. Psalm 32 is one of the um, psalms of his confession I love. And I, I always want people to know when we have babies who are shouting back at me on a Sunday, that is a good thing because when you stop hearing that sound, the church will die soon. So every time we hear that, if it's like, and it's been my baby before, so I get the pain. I want you to know that for me, I don't view that as a bad thing. I view it as awesome, and I always want to hear it somewhere in our building. So here, hear this: Psalm thirty-two. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. Stop right there. I've been um. I've been going back and forth all week about, Miles, don't do it. Don't do what you want to do in this moment because it'll make the sermon go over, and it will. But I got, and I'm going to leave it up to y'all. Not, if you're online, you don't get to respond. Sorry, just look at each other right now awkwardly. Um, but do y'all want a little riff on this verse that will blow your mind? No, okay. I'll read the next verse. Oh, I got my section over here. Some guys in town from out of town. Like, you better give it to, okay, here we go. In whose spirit is no deceit. Psalm 32, one is the verse that Jesus quotes to Nathaniel. In John 1 when he says, here's is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Remember that? That's because at the time there was a rabbinical debate about this verse, which was the question of can God use someone who has deceit in their spirit? And then what does Nathaniel say? How do you know me? And Jesus says, I saw you under the fig tree. And then Nathanael's like, All of a sudden, the fig tree thing just blew his mind, and he's like, you are the son of God. The reason why that happens, though, is because, yes, Nathaniel was probably under a literal fig tree, but fig tree was a Jewish picture of the teaching that you were under. Nathaniel was one of John the Baptist's disciples, and Jesus actually sat under John the Baptist's teaching for a while, too. And what Jesus is literally saying is, I saw you under the fig tree pondering what you were learning from your rabbi, which was Psalm 32, Psalm 32. You can look at rabbinical debate from 2,000 years ago. A lot of it revolved around this verse. Can God use someone who has deceit? He goes, Rabbi, you are the son of God. Then what does Jesus say? I tell you, you'll see greater things than this. You'll see the son of man ascending and descending. Or, Or no, you'll see the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man, which is a reference to Jacob and Jacob's ladder in Genesis. Jacob, whose name means deceiver, deceitful. And it's almost like Jesus winking at him going, the answer is yes. God God can use deceitful people. Powerful. Is that good? I think it's so cool. In whose spirit. But this is David going, this is awesome to have a spirit in which there's no deceit. There's no hiding. There's no dishonesty. When I, now watch this. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in heat of summer. So David's saying, when I kept my secrets on the inside of me, man, it was like getting crushed by the Auburn, Alabama heat right now. It was like my strength is gone and my bones feel crushed. But watch this, verse 5. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. In other words, I came out of hiding. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. Here we go. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. David goes, I I was getting crushed when I was silent and in the prison of secrecy. But then I confessed and I found out that you're patient, that you're loving, that you offer forgiveness, that you offer grace, even to a degree that would make some of us uncomfortable. And you know what I found out? I found out that you are my hiding place. Do you see the shift? He, he went from hiding from God to hiding in God. That's it. That's the whole message today. One line, a godly life trades hiding from God for hiding in God. Now you don't have to run and hide from the Holy One. You get to curl up and hide in Him because He is your strength and your song. And He's the one who's singing over you. I love this verse because we think we're the ones singing to God. God's such a good, patient, loving, compassionate Father that He sings songs of what over you? Deliverance. Deliverance from what? All the things you think you have to keep hiding and in the dark my God is singing over me right now deliverance from the things that I've only entertained the belief that it's possible for me to walk in freedom from. Oh, if you could see what life looks like out of hiding today, and if you could get a vision for I want to live with no deceit in my spirit, how do I get there? It starts with a bold step called confession. And this is where the sermon could honestly take the exact same route as last week. Because Peter's words are connected all throughout this letter. I could go grace plus community equals freedom right now, once again, and go, you need the grace of God, you need the community of people, and that's what leads to freedom. So if you want those points, you can look at last week. But I got two closing thoughts with four minutes and 12 seconds to give you before we leave today. And I feel like these will frame how we walk out and live this out. Is this helpful for anybody today? It's helping me as I give it. Number one, these are two things that I think we're getting lied to about. Number one, see a godly life as the best life. See a godly life as the best life. So our our culture champions uh, living your best life according to living enslaved to your authentic self. And it's like, you just got to be you. Whoever the true you is, you got to be you. And what you don't understand is that living your life underneath those constraints only leads to more slavery and more prisons of secrecy. A godly life is not the life of doing all these things, obeying God that are actually boring, that are actually burdensome, that are actually hard. No, no, no. It's, it's the best life you can live because it's out there in the light enjoying the reason why you have breath in your lungs and knowing that when Jesus comes back, you're going to be found faithful. This is what Peter said in verse 14. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort. Oh, man, that's the fifth time he said that in this short letter. Make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. So where does our effort aim in the Christian faith? Not white-knuckled willpower, but Holy Spirit power. Remember, 2 Peter Chapter 1, verse 3, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. By the power of the Holy Spirit, you can live at peace with God and at peace with people by being blameless because our Lord's patience means salvation. One of the biggest lies some of you are believing as I preach is that your secrets have gone on for so long that you cannot step into the godly life that's yours. You'll be underneath the prison forever because the sins have compounded so high, the bondage runs so deep. And I just want you to know this, our Lord's patience means salvation. The fact that God's still waiting on you means he still plans on seeing salvation come. The fact you're still alive, you're still here, you could have been anywhere this morning. You're right here, here in this message. Do not call that an accident. The God of the universe is going, it's not over for you, and it's not too late to come out of the dark and walk in the light. And when you get there, you will not find a boring life of burdensome commands. First John tells us his commands are not burdensome. You will find fellowship with God and the purposes of God more deeply satisfying than anything the sins of this broken world could ever offer you. Speaking from experience, tasted both. Tasted the pleasures of sin, tasted the pleasures of God. I want the pleasures of God one billion times over. Oh, it's so good to go home and not be ashamed. It's so good to wake up in the morning and go, God, what do you have for me today? It's so good to walk in the kingdom of God. It's so miserable to do this the world's way. I'm not trying to call you out of hiding to make you miserable and go, hey, live a life obedient to God because Jesus is coming back. I'm trying to make you understand you were made for so much more than that. And your best life is over here, but it's got to come through, coming out into the light, and it's still possible for you. That's number one. Number two, here we go. I'm, I'm done. Set your mission as hastening Christ's return. Yes, I said hastening. Set your mission as hastening Christ's return. I, I don't know if anyone saw this as we read the end of Second Peter, but Peter makes the argument that a holy, godly life hastens the return of Jesus. Now, if you're like me, and you believe strongly in the sovereignty of God, that's hard to sort of make play out in your mind. You're like, so if I live a more holy life, I participate in the coming of Jesus and the initiation of the end of all things, but hasn't the father already decided when Jesus is coming back? Isn't he sovereign over the whole thing? Yeah, we need to all get used to the fact that God is sovereign over the whole plan, holds it all, and there are things that happen in the moment about the decisions that we make that impact futures. Those worlds can coexist, by the way. They do. You're sitting in it. It's called life. But this is arguing that your choices can actually put you in line to participate in the coming of Christ. There is no mission for your life that is more exhilarating to live for than living for Jesus coming back to get his bride. I'm sorry. You you could have a lot going on in your business. You could be working on a book, new thing, social media influencer, whatever y'all have going on. I promise you, no one in this room, no one watching online has a higher calling in life that's higher than hastening the return of Jesus. And that's why I am so fired up to be a part of this church in this day. I've been walking around our new building at Hamilton Road a lot lately, and I I get goosebumps. Not because, oh, it's so nice, we're gonna have such a cool auditorium to worship in, All that's great, but it's like we get to be a part of heaven come to earth on a massive scale for years to come in the middle of a college town where worldviews are being formed, where kids are being raised and families are moving to this city every day. And I, I know that's happening in Birmingham and Huntsville and Lake Martin and all the places y'all live are awesome, but they're not as awesome as here. And, um, and, and we're just seeing in this community, man, this is so amazing to be a part of. But the best part about all of this is getting to wake up in the morning and go, no way. I am a conduit of the kingdom of God coming to earth because heaven, listen to this, heaven was never about getting you out of here. Heaven is about the invasion of the kingdom of God right here and right now. And the more we live holy, godly lives, the more we pray, the more we press in, the more we come out of hiding, the less ground the enemy has. And when Jesus comes back, he is coming back to a praying church he is coming back to an honest, authentic, vulnerable church. Not a perfect church, but one made perfect by the blood. So let's participate in it today. What else could you have to do that matters more with your life than usher in the kingdom of God here on earth forever? Every week when we take communion, we get to see a picture of this. You can get your communion sets out now. If you don't have one, just raise your hand. Someone from our team will bring it your way. At every location, we as believers get this opportunity. And if you're not a believer in Jesus, we ask that you just sit this moment out. But if you are a believer in Jesus, this is where we remember the body and the blood of Jesus. The body that cleanses our sin, heals us. The blood of Jesus that washes us wider than snow in the sight of God. And I always ask husbands to pray over their wives in this moment. But this is the second week of an absolutely, massively heavy message. Whatever time you need to just sit in what you just heard and do business with God, you need to do that. But I would ask, once again, let's turn the front into an altar. And if coming out of hiding for you looks like coming down to bow on your knees before God, then do that. If it looks like confessing to a trusted friend, do that. If it looks like going to the prayer team after this, then do that. we got to take steps. we got to come out of hiding because we got a kingdom to bring to earth. Let's take communion for a second, and then we'll worship.